You're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, serving the latest news in sci-fi multimedia. And now, your hosts, Scott, Miles, and Anna. Your table is ready. Live long and prosper. This is the captain. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Well, welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. I, I have with me tonight an author who's an author whose works span over twenty years of writing. And knowing authors, typically it's more than that. That's just when they first begin to appear in the publishing scene. And many times there's been years of crafting their work that is that has gone into building up to that time. Dale Bailey has woven tales that have appeared in everything from the magazine of fantasy and science fiction to the Drabblecast. His short story, Death and Suffrage, was adapted loosely for Showtime Network's anthology series, Masters of Horror. Uh, so needless to say, he has a lot of writing cred behind it. Uh, tons of short stories have been published over the years. One of his more recent collections, uh, talking about short stories, uh, his Resurrection Man's Legacy, well, it's not really, really recent. It was published in 2003, but recently re-released by Open Road Media is now available, uh, for publish, for, uh, for you to buy as long as well as some of his other novels. Dale, welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So I, I, I talked about in our introduction just a little bit that, you know, you have almost, I think 2003 was, or not, 1993 was the f- first time you had a short story published. Is that correct? No, uh, I go all the way back to, I think, uh, I think it was 92 or 93. I can't, I can't remember the precise year, but 92, okay. I think. 92, okay. So, but over 20 years of writing, and how long were you writing prior to the time you got your first short story published? Well, I was, I have to do some quick calculating. I was about 24 or so when I, when I started publishing and I had been writing, seriously writing since about the age of, uh, uh, seven or eight. Oh, wow. So I can re- uh-huh. I I can remember submitting stories when I was like twelve or thirteen and getting these very because I always prefaced it with a I'm twelve years old right right <laughs> uh, getting very kind kind letters back from editors saying that's just pretty good for a twelve year old but it's not it's not for us <laughs> well at, le- at least they weren't uh, form letters. So, there you go. I got a few of those too. Yeah. Oh man. So, so you sent you, you were sending out your work by the time you were age twelve. That's awesome. What what kind of inspired you to say what when what made you sit down and say you know what I want to write stories? Um, I guess it's a a confluence of events. My father, uh, my father introduced me very early when I was just starting to read to the Lord of the Rings and uh, the Narnia books. And although I, I write nothing like the Lord of the Rings or the Narnia books, uh, that was the first, that, that was the initial uh, impetus. Um, and then uh, somehow I, I think through Christine uh, by Stephen King, 
uh, I got onto uh, horror, and then I, uh, I, uh, you know, I lived in the middle of nowhere. There were, there were no bookstores where I lived, but my my parents very kindly got me subscription to uh, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. So, so all of this stuff was kind of pouring in, and, and uh, I was reading it, and I was thinking, uh, this is really cool. I would like to I would like to try to do this. Awesome. So, uh, so uh, as far as influences, early influences, as you read through the magazine of science fiction and fantasy, uh, what are fantasy and science fiction? What were some of the early writers that began to really influence you? You mentioned Christine by Stephen King, and you mentioned Narnia, and you mentioned Lord of the Rings, which in my mind are fabulous books in their own right. Tell what were some of the writing influences for you when you look back and you say, well, this this really began to shape or really give me an idea of how I could paint my my stories, how I could tell my stories. Well, uh, ironically enough, the uh, I think that the two writers who influenced me in some ways the most are writers uh, I haven't I haven't mentioned yet. Uh, uh, Stephen King. I think is a big influence for any horror writer who was growing up in the seventies and early eighties. Uh, um, but, uh, I stumbled onto through just fortuitous circumstances, uh, um, Ray Bradbury and Clifford Simak. And like I said, I lived in a place where there were no bookstores. I lived in very rural West Virginia and, uh, uh, running into those books through my through my school library, I uh, I discovered that hey, people are writing science fiction and fantasy that is set in a, uh, in, a in a in a rural environment, and I realized that that I could do this, uh, or, or that this could be done. I didn't know that I could do this yet, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> but but this could be done, and and from there I went on into the into the into the public library uh, in town, and I read. You know, they had a they had a science fiction section, and I started with Asimov and and worked my way through Zelazny. So, <laughs> so uh, I you know I I read everything I could lay hands on uh, in the in the field. Uh, Silverberg was another person who said uh, who said to me. Well, Actually, he didn't say to me since right. I never had Robert Silverberg. But his work told me that uh, you know you could you could have a literary bent as well, and uh, which is something else Ray Bradbury uh, uh, had. Uh, but but you know you could you could write sort of literary fiction within the genre, and I thought that was uh, something very interesting. Yeah, I think many times, even today, when you think of the genre fiction like science fiction, fantasy, or horror. You don't typically combine that with um, something that's what we would call literary quality of writing. I'm an English teacher, and um, you know, for my day job, and and when we when we have when we look at the anthologies that come out that we're teaching, so there's such a min- a minuscule a portion of it that that is literary, and if there's anything in there that is, it's like Sturgeon, it's. Uh, it's Kurt Vonnegut, who didn't consider himself a science fiction writer. It's uh, Bradbury's Asimov, or typically the the couple that are in there. Right. Um, well, I think, you know, deciding whether someone is is 
a literary writer or or not is a is a very fraught kind of decision to make, right? Right. Uh, I'm I'm an English teacher too, so I was, you know, I, I became very aware through my education and, and my graduate education that that uh, that people were writing at a at a level uh, that I could aspire to, but but I probably couldn't reach, <laughs> and, uh, and that's. I guess you can't pass judgment on your own work, uh, uh, with any, with any, uh, objectivity, but, but that's, that's what I was aspiring to do is to write sort of, uh, literary, uh, literary, literary stuff within the, the genre, by which I mean, I paid careful attention to the language and I, uh, uh, I tried to write stories that were character oriented. Within the uh, within the speculative or, or fantasy or, or horror idea that was driving the story. Now, what in your, in your I mean, other than the early influences, what drives you to write something in speculative fiction versus you know western or I don't know uh, you know so, some other genre? What makes you say you know what speculative fiction? What what kind of calls to you as a writer that makes makes you return to it again and again? Um, I think there are two answers to that. The first answer is that because I read so intensively in the genres of horror, fantasy, and science fiction as a kid, it sort of it sort of shaped my uh, sort of sort of shaped my mind to to um, to write within the genre. Because I, I had an understanding of the tropes uh, and the structures that that uh, that that people used within the genre. One thing that I would say is that science fiction, even fantasy and horror, often starts with an, a speculative idea, and then you sort of build the characters in after the fact. Whereas mainstream fiction uh, tends to start with character and move towards plot. Uh, sort of the opposite direction that that a science fiction story does. Uh, so that that was uh, that that was that was uh, Im- important to me. And I had a number two, but it's escaped me. <laughs> oh well, well, maybe it'll maybe it'll come back. It was uh, I think the question was what uh, kind of drives you to write in the uh, speculative. Yeah. Okay. So I know the second answer okay. now. I remember the question. Uh, I apologize. For no, it's fine. That. The other thing is very, uh, very amorphous, and 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 it it doesn't really lend itself to explanation. But I think you write what your muse or your subconscious or whatever metaphor you want to use for where ideas come from. Uh, you sort of you sort of write what is delivered. Uh, to you and and often what's delivered to me is a title and and uh you know i i wrote a short story recently for for uh asimovs and the the title was mating habits of the late cretaceous and that title that title sort of arrived i don't know why (laughs) and uh and uh you know then then my job was to say well what does that mean Uh, you know what 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 possible story could develop out of that um so, so you know, I, I don't know. People are always asking where ideas come from and things like that, and 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 I I don't know except to say that you read widely and you're sort of alive in the culture and you try to observe things and and they show up. 
Yeah, I think uh, I heard uh, Neil Gaiman say one time it was a, it was incredible. Like writers just pay attention to the things that people just kind of gloss over. And, right. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I think there's. I I think I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, no, I think go ahead. writers. I think writers tend to be very introverted as as well. Um, and and. Uh, and so that turns you into an observer by nature because you're sort of you're the guy or the, the the woman who is standing at the periphery of the party and watching the party as opposed to participating actively in the party. So you're always moving around the the the, the, the periphery of the culture, which sort of forces you into the role of observer. Mm-hmm. Now you you mentioned how how much. How, how how much of mainstream writing is character driven, and then you work on the plot or you work on the uh, the setting, and uh, and how that's been kind of a bent in your stories. Can you tell us? Uh, given the, can you give us an example of that in uh, one of your stories, or even maybe one of your novels? Um. Well, I'll go back to the story, Many Habits of the Late Cretaceous, since we've since we've talked about that, and. Uh, for from what happened with that story is it, it's a time travel story. There's the, the you know the speculative idea, I guess. Uh, it's trying to break new ground right. uh, with because nobody's written time travel stories. No, 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 not not at all, and not, uh, not, not in the dinosaur period either. No, no. That's, that's that's very new. Like I said, Bradbury wasn't in things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. The thunder in my head all the time. Uh, and but but so I started with this 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 title and and I worked back you know wouldn't it, wouldn't it be cool if and again this is not particularly new but uh, but working with the idea of time travel uh, as a as a sort of uh, vacation destination you know the the Cretaceous as a as a as a resort you go to to check out dinosaurs and and you have all the luxuries you would have in 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 any resort. Um, and then I started thinking about, well, well, who would go there that would be interesting? And I had this mating habits title in my head. And I thought, well, this is really a story about, about marriages. And so there are a number of different marriages that sort of play off each other different ways. Husbands and wives relate to each other and, uh, and fail to relate to each other because after all, it's conflict drives the story. Right. Uh, so, but the story became, um, uh, to a great degree, you know, there's a lot of dinosaur stuff in there and time travel stuff, but to a great degree, it, it became a story about marriages, and, and so it was very character-driven in that way. Okay, very cool. And, I, you know, this, so this is, uh, this is something that's been kind of core for your work, to focus in on the character and, and less about the, uh, well, not I guess it's not fair to say less about the plot. It's just that the thing that drives your story, that's central in your story, is the character. Right. And I don't want to suggest that other approaches to fiction are, you know, are, uh, of a, of a lesser quality or degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think each writer finds his or her own way. Right. And, and, uh, that just happens to be, that just happens to be the way my mind works. And, uh, you know, other writers' minds work very differently. And, and, uh, I'm not suggesting that, that my way is superior. It's just, <laughs> It's just what I can do, right? Right, right. It's it's and it's kind of uh, your interest and what you kind of uh, how how you honed your craft. 
I was just thinking even like when I, my wife and I sit down to watch TV, which is rarely, and when we actually watch like a science fiction television show, which is also fairly rarely, um, the things that we, when we do find one we like, is typically character driven. It's a way that she can relate. She's not a real, she doesn't really like science fiction and fantasy per se. But that being said, if she, if she finds shows, uh, that are heavily character driven, she's in. So she can relate to it and the, I mean the, the science fiction elements end up becoming just the, tr- the, the trimmings, but the uh, real, the core, of what's going on is really the relationships, the characters, and how they play off of each other. Unfortunately, those shows are hard to find. No, they are. I think we <laughs> found, you know, for us, uh, what was it? We watched um, Firefly. I think it was fairly heavily character driven. Right. And um, the X Files. We we were fans of that and. Uh, I didn't get her into Battlestar Galactica, the, the reimagined series, but I thought that that was fairly character driven too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Lost maybe. But that was about it. There's not much out there. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, but, well, uh, so let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, work that you have available, um, on Open Road Media. You have four novels here. Um, l- let's start with, uh, Sleeping Policeman. The one that you did with Jack Slay Jr., which is an awesome name, by the way, Jack Slay. It's another great name. I know. Is that, I assume that's... that's very inadequate, Dale Bailey. Yeah, I know. Jack Slay Jr., I mean. Um, so tell us a little bit about this novel that's available on Open Road Media. Uh, Sleeping Policeman. Um, I was I was looking at it because, um, because of uh, uh, this Open Road Media... Um, uh, thing we were putting together. And so I was looking back at the book, having written it before, gosh, I, I, don't, I think it came out in 2004 or five, maybe 2006. Mm-hmm. You can see my memory works very well. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, Jack and I were trying to write uh, a crime novel, uh, a noir novel, if you will. And, and, uh, we came up with, again, the highly original idea of uh, some college kids accidentally running over uh, a guy, which uh, I, I think there's been a movie. Yeah. Uh, 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 that Part uses two. the same conceit. But we, we go in a very different direction. And uh, and uh, the, the novel, like I said, is, is a product of its time. People People aren't using cell phones regularly. Because that changes the whole way you plot a uh, suspense novel, um, so uh, so 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 that's kind of an interesting thing looking back at it. But uh, but but once these these kids do this, they decide to cover it up and they find a significant amount of cash on the body, which they of course abscond with, and uh, and they find a key to a bus station locker. Which they then proceed to open and and uh, and find a uh, and find a a, a, a a sex tape that that ends in death. Uh, I forget the I forget what they call those. I think snuff snuff film. Snuff film, yeah. It's a, it's a snuff film, and uh, and uh, from there, uh, you know, the the bad guys want to recover the snuff film, obviously, and uh, and that the characters become kind of entranced by it. Uh, it sort of brings out their, their dark side and, uh, the story develops from there. And 
One interesting thing, this is the, with the exception of the short story I wrote with uh, Nathan Ballingrud, um, this is the only time I have collaborated. And what happened is, you know, Jack would write his chapter or section, however long he was going to write, and he would try to set things up to make it really hard for me to move the story <laughs> forward. And I would do the same to him. So we're constantly raising the stakes. And as a consequence, the book, uh, the book is extremely violent and goes to very dark places. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, it's not a happy book. No, no. So, uh, not, not light reading if you want to be cheered up. That's for sure. <laughs> but I mean, it's light reading. It's not hard to read, but, uh, but, uh you know. It, the book was uh the, the when it, when we first started marketing the book we got a lot of we really like this book it's way too dark to publish uh and uh so so that was sort of how that how that played out <laughs> but you eventually did get it published then someone took the risk on it uh a small press took the risk uh, uh golden griffin um who did my collection as well there are three novels and one collection of short stories uh, and uh and uh, golden griffin took a chance on it um so that was you know that was great so to get it out there so uh, it was out there uh how was it received really well well let's talk about what you mean by received <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, people that are we, read it. Are we talking in financial terms or are we talking in review terms? Well, knowing, uh, having known a fair amount of writers and interviewed writers, let's take it more of how did people enjoy the book? Uh, I think the few people who read the book uh, did, <laughs> did enjoy it. I mean, one thing I'm hoping with the uh, – with the uh, republication as an ebook is that it will find a larger audience right. uh, because there is an audience for this stuff. I'm thinking of uh, uh, a single shot. Uh, I can't remember the, the author's name uh, or uh, 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 Scott Smith's a simple plan. I mean, there is an audience for dark crime novels right. and uh, so I'm hoping it, it will find a larger audience. Right. It was received. It, it got generally positive reviews uh, the, there, there were a couple of people who objected to the, uh, to the, uh, to the, to the degree of violence in the book. Uh, I am the kind of writer who obsessively follows reviews, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I really, every, every time I go to, uh, to Google and see if it's been reviewed, I'm like, you really shouldn't be doing this. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, this is going to put you in a foul mood if you get a bad review of it. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we do that when, especially when I started podcasting, it was kind of the same thing. Like, good iTunes, who said, what about this podcast? It's kind of the same thing. So, so let's talk about, you have, you have a couple other novels out. Tell me about The Fallen and then tell me about House of Bones. Um, The Fallen and House of Bones are interesting books. Interesting to me. I, I, I hope they're interesting to other people. Uh, but they're interesting to me because I learned something about the way publishing works, which is that your your early work sort of defines how you are perceived. Um, if you know, if you look at my collection, there's a lot of science fiction. There's a lot of sort of melancholic stuff, like you would uh, read in Ray Bradbury. 
so I, I don't really think of myself as a as a horror writer, but but because the uh, the first novel was a was a fairly conventional horror novel, and I had a two book contract, so the second one had to be a horror novel. Okay. Suddenly, I became uh, a horror writer. Now, uh, I don't mean to 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 disparage horror at all. I, I read a lot of horror, and and I write uh, a lot of horror, uh, but uh, but but I don't think of it as the sole. Uh, the, the sole, the sole path I, I go down, and and I think those those people who know my work, which is uh, well, we won't get into that. Uh, <laughs> the the people who know my work, I think, tend to think of me as a as a horror writer, even though I do a, I do a lot of different stuff. The the Fallen is a uh, is a um, is a is a novel that is set in Southern West Virginia, where I grew up. And, uh, very much draws upon that experience of growing up. It's about, it's about, uh, I want to say a lot about it, but it's about, uh, a monster in a coal mine. Uh, and, uh, and what happens when somebody wakes up the, uh, the, the monster. Uh, bad, bad things happen, of course. Yeah. Uh, um, but, you know, the, the fallen is, uh, the, the, the following was an interesting book because it went through a lot of iterations before it was before it was published. I remember I I sent it to my agent and, and uh, he said, "Well, this will this will never do." I, <laughs> he sent me a six page letter suggesting changes and uh, and uh, I rewrote it and he sold the book and and then I got the uh, the revision letter from my editor, which was also like six pages and and, and <laughs> you know. Parts of this will never do, and uh, so you know it went through a, it went through a lot of iterations uh, before it became the book it did, and and I think that's probably typical with first novels. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Um, so tell me about the short story collection, the Res- the Resurrection's Man's Legacy. I mean, when I was um, who was a cat was telling me the premise of this book and. Uh, the robotic surrogates and uh, I, I just I, I I heard Bradbury in it and then I uh, and then I read some of the description of some of the other stories and some of the psychological stuff some crime stuff happening in in kind of uh, speculative ways and it seems like a fascinating collection of short stories. Can you tell us just a little bit about it? Um, I hope it is fascinating. Uh, almost all the stories came from the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. I've I've since branched out and published in other places. Okay. Uh, although the you know uh, the magazine of fantasy and science fiction remains close to my heart for giving me uh, the first opportunity to publish. Um, the collection is a fairly a fairly uh, diverse book. It's it's not you know some people publish very unified collections which are which are centered around a single sort of theme. Uh, uh, this book is. Is all over the place. There, there are science fiction stories, uh, and, and I mean pure science fiction stories. There is the Resurrection Man's Legacy, which is uh, which is a uh, a sort of Bradbury esque uh, science fiction story, uh, in the sense that it's got you know robots that look like people instead of the robots we really have, uh, and uh, and it's got some horror stories. Uh, uh, some of which are, you know, designed to be horrific, and some of which I thought, this is going to be funny. Uh, like a story called Death and Suffrage, the one that was adapted uh, 
for uh, for film for Showtime Television. I I thought it was really funny, uh, but people started reading it and saying, "This this really isn't funny at all." So, uh, <laughs> so, so this is really this is really a horror story. So uh, so so I don't think you always have an accurate perception of your work, but uh, I think. I suppose in an interview, one should not say this. One should be pushing all the books, right. which I am. Go buy right. them. Go buy two copies, right? Right, right. Uh, but uh, but uh, I think the the best work is in is is uh, is is short fiction. Uh, I think that's where I do uh, my strongest work. And I do uh, let me let me pimp a, another collection real quickly. I do have another collection coming out in, in April, which sort of is the the uh, the second ten years, if you will, of my of my uh, writing oh, career. Awesome! So that'll be out, is it, and that'll be out in who would that be published through? Uh, it's published through a house called Resurrection House, um, which is um, just getting started. Uh, they're publishing a. Uh, a collection that I have written, uh, uh, you know, over the, the last uh, 10 years, as I said, and, uh, and then they're, they're publishing a, uh, a novel, which is, uh, sort of a horror novel, but not really. It's called The Subterranean Season. Uh, at least I, I hope they will publish it. I have to uh, finish writing it, which is the challenge. Yeah, that, that, that would be helpful, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, they can't publish a, I have a contract that says it's going to be published, but, uh, but uh, I, I will finish writing it. <laughs> right. So it's just Book, books are hard for me. Novels are hard because they're, they're much more plot driven. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, like, like I said, that's not really the, the natural pathway into story for me. Right. Right. You, you know, a bunch of the stories that you've written have, have gone in, in, and won different awards or been finalists in different awards. I think like you were finalists for the Shirley Jackson award. You had, you were finalist, you were up for a nebula. And I think that that has to be somewhat gratifying as a, as a writer to have stories that are in league with, you know, the best writers in the genre. That is very gratifying. I was, uh, I was, I was up for two nebulas and I was, you know, I was, I, I was very excited and, uh, you know, very hopeful that I would win. It, when it comes to awards, I, I tend to be left at the altar. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm I'm always the uh, uh, the bridegroom, I guess you will, and never, the, never the groom to to flip that uh, to flip that common saying. Um, but but that's cool because it uh, as as they always say at the Academy Awards, it's just an honor to be nominated because you really are. Uh, being seen as, as, you know, in that, in that very elite group. Um, um, so, uh, but, but, a, but a funny kind of story is I, I went to, uh, my first nebula ceremony and, uh, and, uh, James Patrick Kelly, um, came to me and he said, Ursula K. Le Guin was up as well. And he said, we have no chance because Jim, Jim Kelly was up as well. We were all three in the same category, uh, novelette. And, uh, he said, we have no chance. And I was like, what are you talking about? I have a chance. He goes, no, you don't. <laughs> Ursula is here. <laughs> oh. Ursula would not be here if she were not going to collect the awards. So, no. oh. so, 
But the fact that you were up against her, uh, and even, you know, in the same, and people considered your work, even at that level has to be, I mean, that, I mean, I think if, as a writer, that has to be gratifying. It was hugely gratifying. And that happened very early in my, in my career for the story Resurrection Man's Legacy that we've talked about a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it provided the impetus to, to, uh, to continue to continue working, I mean, because there is, I, I I know writers that say they have fun writing, they enjoy writing, but but, but writing is like uh, it's like pulling pulling teeth for me, and yeah. uh, and uh, so so it's always you know that that looking for something to to help you focus and move mm-hmm. forward, and uh, you know when you're when you're up against uh, 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 Ursula. Caleb win for for an award you you know you feel like well maybe maybe I'm not so bad after all <laughs> maybe maybe I can manage one more story and, yeah. uh, that's sort of how I work maybe I can manage one more story uh, <laughs> that's awesome there, there was a period in my in my career where I didn't manage any stories I, I took about five years off uh, three or four or five years off uh, so uh so it, you know, it, it really is a struggle for me. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I started started writing, or started publishing again in about 2009, I think, uh, after after a brief uh, break of two or three years. Awesome. So, uh, did you get to meet Ursula then? No, I <laughs> I did not. Uh, uh, I I don't know where they were keeping her, but <laughs> she wasn't. She she wasn't milling around with the people I was milling around. With. <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. I, I've never met her. I'm sure she's a very nice person, and she has my nebula. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> oh, that is funny. It's funny. So, uh, I want to ask you some questions that kind of maybe uh, deal with the genre that you've been kind of lumped in with. That you say you don't really consider yourself a horror writer per se, and yet there are obviously horror elements for people to kind of link your work into that genre. Is there something about horror, in your opinion, that drives people to pick up horror books to sit down and watch a horror movie or a horror TV series? Like what in us is... Yeah, that's a that's a question I've considered a lot, and it's a, it's a difficult question to answer, and, and really I can... I can only speculate. Right. Uh, obviously, I can only speculate. I, I haven't done a, I haven't done a double blind study of this, right. uh, this particular <laughs> issue. Uh, but, but, but I guess what I would like to talk about it, uh, if I were going to talk about this issue, which I am, uh, I think the easiest way to talk about it is what brings me to the genre, and and maybe that is true of other people, but but I but I don't know. And what brings me to the genre is it feels true uh now that sounds ridiculous because we're dealing with a genre with vampires and werewolves and and uh and and whatnot and and i think we're all pretty confident that that those creatures don't exist uh um so we're dealing with the supernatural a lot but but what i'm talking about is is the emotional tenor i think horror uh provides people a way to cope with um with and to cope with and explore issues they would not be able to do in reality uh 
you know, it, we all we all have to deal with death. We we all have to deal with uh, we we all have to deal with you know the horrible things that are happening around us. You know, the the genocides, what have you. And and there's an incredible pressure there, uh, uh, emotional pressure if if we're sensitive to those things. And I think in that sense, horror is like an amusement park ride. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're pretty safe on an amusement park ride, but you still get the terrifying thrill. Right. And, That's uh, a good comparison. And, you know, and, uh, and, and I think horror works in very much the same way. We get to explore death, for example. We sort of have this moment of facing our own mortality through this character that we identify with, but, uh, but we don't have to die, right? <laughs> uh, Which so, is a good thing, a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's a very good thing. So I, I think that's what brings me to horror. Uh, I feel the world is a pretty dark place, and uh, and I feel that we need to cope with that. I, I guess it goes back to the, the notion of catharsis, if you will. Mm, no, no, awesome. Um, all right, well – Anything else uh, you, you want to plug or want to talk about before I kind of let you go here? and We'll find out where people can find out more about you in just a little bit here. But anything else you want to talk about regarding your works or any uh, upcoming works? You mentioned the short story collection that will be coming out next April pending you writing it. Um, well, the, the short story collection has been written. It oh, will, so that's written. It will definitely be out. It's it's <laughs> the novel that comes after. And the novel will come out too. Okay. Uh, like I said, there's just the struggle of, of writing the damn thing, right? Right, right. Is this a, a – are your novels in any way connected or are they all kind of standalone novels? Uh, they're all standalone, which is to say there are no repeated characters or anything like that. Uh, Many of them are rooted in place and time that, uh, uh, that, that is sort of consistent across, across all of them. Uh, you know, where I grew up and, and, uh, the various sort of, uh, uh, features of that setting mm. tend to, tend to recur. The, the novel I'm working on now, for example, is set in, in, uh, in, uh, the world of academia, the main character is a, is a grad student. I know people are thrilled. They, they really want to read it now. It's yeah, right, right. academia. Ooh, a grad student. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's, that's something that I experienced. I, you know, I, I went to grad school and I experienced that. So it's sort of set in that, in that world. And, uh, the earlier novels that are available now are, uh, you know, uh, The Fallen is set in West Virginia when, where I grew up, uh, House of Bones. Uh, which we we haven't talked about much is uh, is uh, uh, although it's set in a housing project, um, it is uh, there. You know, uh, one of the central characters has that sort of West Virginia background, and, okay. and so comes to this housing project that is haunted with uh, with that with that that experience of the world. Mm, very good. Well. Dale, if people want to find out more about you and uh, find out where they can purchase uh, your works that are available, where can they go to do this? Um, there are a number of places. Uh, they're ebooks, so they're available on the Kindle. They're available in the Nook. So Amazon and Barnes and Noble would be the the easy places to go if you have one of those devices. Um, and I think uh, Open Open Road. Uh, on their uh, 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 on their website has uh, 
you know, you, you can purchase uh, their, their, from their website for various other devices. And uh, so those would be the three big places to go to, uh, to get the books that are uh, in pixel. Uh, yeah, yes. instead of you can't see it print anymore, but <laughs> so. Uh, so so those would be the obvious places to go. And uh, if I might plug them a little further, they're cheap. Uh, so so uh, take a risk. Take a risk. Uh, show a few bucks that direction and, uh, and read them. Okay. Um, I did notice if they go to your website, uh, your blog, I guess it is, dalebailey.com. Uh, right. That if they want a taste of your fiction, you provide links on uh, the short fiction, especially to uh, sites that still have your stories kind of published there. So if they want a taste for, you know, what what your writing sort of like, and they have stories that are available like Tor dot com has a Rumor of Angels, Clark's World Magazine has your The Creature Recants, and uh, there's other stories that are available if they go to your, uh, I guess, bibliography. Right. And, uh, yeah, there is a bibliography page and, and there are links there. There is a, there is a, an actual story, uh, on my website. Uh, and I rotate that out once in a while. Uh, my, my blog, uh, to, uh, to speak of the blog is, uh, is, uh, more or less defunct. I, I don't, <laughs> I, I just, for some reason, I, blogging doesn't seem to be my natural medium, but, uh, but I do try. Right. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, th- there, there are lots of, uh, online places that, uh, that, uh, I'm sorry about the phone ringing. <laughs> but, uh, it will provide a little, uh, a little excitement. There we go. Right, right, right. But, uh, who's there? Who's on the <laughs> other? Who could be calling me? Uh, but, but like you said, there are various online places. You Google my name. And say the creature recants and, and Clark's world pops right up. Uh, tour.com has two stories right now. Um, a rumor of angels and the end of the end of everything. Uh, there is the story on my website. And, uh, and so there's, you know, lots of free available stuff to right. uh, see if you, if you want to buy. Yeah. Um, I also saw that one of your works was done as an audio story by the travel cast. Did you uh, do the reading for that? I did not. They contacted me. They liked the story. It was a reprint, and uh, and uh, and someone else did the reading. I I, I uh, uh, you know I I was very gratified to to see that happen. And, and I've published in Nightmare Magazine, uh, and I think that story is available as a podcast as well as available free online. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dale, for sitting down with us here at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast and chatting about your works, your thoughts about horror, science fiction, and really a bunch of different topics that we kind of traversed here. And uh, and looking forward to seeing uh, your upcoming novel, your next collection of short stories coming out in April, and we'll keep our eyes out for it. Okay. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. It's been great fun. Thank you so much for visiting the Sci-Fi Diner. We hope you enjoyed the food, service, and the conversations. If you'd like to share your thoughts regarding what we've talked about, or tell us what you're watching or reading, flip open your communicators and contact us at 1-888-508-4343 or click the SpeakPipe link at sci-fi-diner-podcast.com or 
Send an MP3 or typed email to sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. You can also join the conversation on our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner. We'll share your thoughts on our listener feedback show. If you'd like to support the diner beyond the conversation, you can always throw some coins in the tip jar at sci-fi diner podcast.com. <laughs>